Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, G, U corner, half back, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. Good morning, Rock. How are you now? Good morning, Polly. I'm doing well. Doing well. That's pretty devastating news out of Los Angeles with our young stud running back. Feel terrible. It does stink. Feel terrible the- for Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. Paul, jeez, well, what kind of human are you? Where's your compassion? Pro your Football Focus just tweeted out that Daryl Henderson's going to run for fourteen hundred fifty yards and ten touchdowns, so they're fine based off of that. Yeah, Daryl Henderson can't stay healthy. That's no. not going to happen. I know he's too he's too small, and, and it is a bummer. I, and, and I know you're being honest, and there's a lot of Seahawks fans that say, "Hey, that's the way it goes, right?" Chris Carson's been banged up for. Ton of his career, and the Seahawks certainly had a litany of injuries over the years. You know, the baseball team in town a couple years ago, I think they played like 92 players because everybody got hurt. So injuries are a part of this thing. That just is a, a significant bummer. I, Paul, I think, Danny, when you were in Hawaii, Paul asked me last week, was it about all the Achilles injuries with one yeah. CFL team? Was it five different players? Saskatchewan or? Rough Riders, right. They had yes. four uh, torn Achilles over a span of six minutes of practice. Yeah, and In this the is same a- field? Yes. Oh. Yes, oh. bad deal. And I know this is a wheelhouse for the professor, and you guys probably hit on it earlier. And I know he studies those injuries, and he's got a huge you know, part of his database that's all injuries and everything else. It will be, I think, fairly compelling once again when we get into training camp to see tendons, be it in the knee, the Achilles, hamstrings, right? The workload this offseason still not what it has been in the past. So it will be uh, certainly worth studying once again. Do you you think there's the possibility that the lack of workload leads to guys blowing out tendons? I think, Danny, yeah, I think when you've got just, uh, you know, we used to report in March, right? And Walter Jones, I remember this vividly, because I spent an entire month Hired a track coach, try to get faster. I knew we would come back in March. This was going into my second year, and I just wanted to I wanted to be faster. And I knew that our strength coach, Kenton Johnson, would, would time some things when we come back in March to begin training and and did all this work. And Walter Jones at 357 pounds, who had done nothing but let his body relax after a season, was faster in the 20 yards than me. Um, one of the more humiliating moments of my life. So... You know, but Walter used March, April, May, June, July. You've got strength coaches. You got a program. You just have a, a regimen and a routine. I think where it gets a little choppy, Danny, is in, in why I probably land a little more on this side of. I do think when you've got private strength coaches and I'm hiring this trainer and my guy wants me to do this and the team wants me to do that and I was in the program for two months and then I'm out of the program and then I'm doing somebody else's stuff. I, I think that. It can be a little convoluted, and I think at times, unfortunately, those are those two entities are not on the same team. <laughs> the team is on the team side. Uh, personal trainers who you know want to get guys a little fitter, or they're, that are getting paid to get results, tend to work for their own best interest, and, and I think that tug of war at times can lead to some of these injuries. Well, speaking of those injuries, Brock Marquise Blair suffered that torn ACL week two for the Seahawks, and. We were asking the question just a couple of minutes ago. What do you do with Marquise Blair? Is he your 
number one nickel corner by default going into this season? Do you move him into a different spot? Is Ugo Amadi that guy? And I guess where do you see Marquise Blair fitting into the Seahawks defense this coming season? The essence of competition is right where he fits. And depending on Jamal Adams and and how much he can go this training camp, which I – I still have severe doubts, not even contract-related, but just injury-related, right? Coming off of significant shoulder surgery, finger surgery. Do we know even the timetable of, of the rehab of all of that? I, I think I'd bet an awful lot that he's going to be on on PUP. So I, I think Marquise Blair has got to look at that and say, man, year three, it is my time. And I know Jamal is a stud. And I know they're going to pay him a ton of dough. And if and when he comes back, it's going to be his job. But when he's not there... I still see that guy as a strong safety. I, mean, I, I still see him as an absolute hammer in one of the most fierce, tackling, explosive safeties when he was coming out of college. And I, I, I'm kind of excited to be, just watching, you know, some of the minicamp and OTA footage and everything else. I, I'm kind of excited to see him when the pads come on because that dude's in go time right now. Question two. Melvin Ingram, one year up to $4 million, which the professor cautioned us. Don't, don't take that at face value. That might be $2.5 million in base salary to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's, that's slightly more than what Seattle's paying Benson Mayoa. Slightly more than Kerry Hyder. Melvin Ingram's a former first-round pick. He's not been all that productive recently. What do you, what do you make of, of the deal that Melvin ended up taking from the Steelers? I think there's some counsel, wise counsel there from the professor when it's – when and Danny, you know a lot of agents. Yeah. When it's up to $4 million, what to, does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. That means chop at least a million and a half off. At of that. Least. that is if if everything goes right and he wins Correct. the Super Bowl and is named the MVP, he'll get so base minimum for a Vesta guy ten years is probably a million five. Yeah, one three, probably somewhere or somewhere so one, between one, one three, three one, one five. five. Does he get a quarter million to sign, and then all of a sudden the the rest of the two and a half is fluffy, fluffy of of incentives and bonuses and and on the roster and game day active and who knows how all of that is written up. So. Yeah, I, up to is pretty telling to me, and it's probably a minimum deal with a little bit of a bonus, and then you know some incentive laden deal makes me feel just fine about Kerry Hyder and Benson Mayoa, and and can you give me any update on Alden Smith? Yet another name that as we look at this Seahawk, Seahawk roster that we know very little about, which and they report in seven days, correct? The rookies, yep, and then the veterans trickle in and physicals and everything else. We have any sense, any update from Louisiana, from New Orleans, from the municipalities and cities, and what's going on down there with Alden? Isn't isn't that a, a no news is good news situation? Yes. Like when you're talking about someone maybe being incarcerated or facing, like the less news, the better. But wouldn't you have a, I mean, it's been months. Yep. If they, and they haven't pressed a charge. They haven't dismissed the case. No. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you think this far in, you'd be like, I mean... Come on now. Well, I'm going to say this. It, in, in my understanding of the criminal justice system, there might be, in fact, bigger fish to fry than trying to sort through exactly why Alden Smith choked a man unconscious outside of a coffee shop at True. 7 p.m. in the evening. True. And it might just be one of those things that are like, yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that. These guys can't agree on how he got choked unconscious. Yes. All, all very, very true. And he should <laughs> and get no special like, Come on, treatment. man. I need yeah. to go to work. And they're like, you wait out there. You choked him <laughs> unconscious. You don't hurry us up. This is on our time. 
What was his deal, by the way, when you want to compare and contrast? One thing with Mayoa oh, and Kerry Hyder, what was all I thought it was like one, million, one year, $2 million. Am I Correct. wrong? Was there any up-tos? <laughs> I would just say, look at this. The Cowboys had him for a very reasonable contract last year. Their defense stinks, and they let him walk. So no. $1.1 $1. $1 with the Seahawks. Yeah. There you go. So They're he's just a minimum deal. Much. That's at least how I feel. So good job, Melvin Ingram's agent. Way to go. Question number three. Mark Ross had some very interesting things to say about Jamal Adams and the Seahawks as they tried to get him back into the fold and sign to a long-term extension. You know, I think Jamal Adams is a fantastic player, but Seattle has already given up so much for him. The two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and a player in Bradley McDougal when they traded him, got him from the Jets. And when they made that deal, I said, this has got to be a Super Bowl-type defense for Seattle when they make this. You give up all that capital for a player like that. And Jamal Adams, although the, the defense got better, he didn't transform the defense. And his the big part about him, the worry, is his skill set. I mean, he's essentially a outside linebacker slash pass rusher. He's not a true free safety, but he still is the best pass pressure on that defense. And I just don't see them being able uh, to make a run with the top tier contenders and giving that significant money to him, which will limit what they can do elsewhere on the roster where they need improvement. For those who don't know, Ross is a former NFL VP for the Giants and a current NFL Network analyst. That's what I was just going to ask. Mm-hmm. I was like, once he started talking, I thought it was a media guy. And I was like, no, that's Mark Ross. He's a former executive. What's he talking about? Mm. I, He's towing he's the saying, entire he's, New he's York saying, City company line, which everyone he's seems saying to be doing he's with over. This. He's he's good, but he's overrated. I couldn't understand. They gave up all of this, but he's not good. He only does what? What's he talking about? Jamal Adams is a great player. Jamal Adams is a great player and deserves one of the best salaries of a safety. He's going to want to be paid like a, a pass rusher. The Seahawks are going to say he's played like a safety, but no. the rest of this, I'm like, ah, he might be. The rest of that's just blah. And you're not looking in the rearview mirror either. Like the, wow. the sunk cost is the sunk cost. Bradley McDougald, okay, that's that's McDougald. that was that was a given the first round pick, you know, this last spring. Okay. Next year, the first and the third, you know, that that will bite a little bit, but that's the sunk cost. That that's what you gotta do. That's the going rate for a playmaking difference maker and in, in loud. And it was interesting, I was bringing Molly to the airport this morning. Macy, our middle, has her final big national tournament of the summer for recruiting and, and AAU and the whole Macy. basketball world. Yep, all that good stuff. And, you know, we were just chatting about different players. And, you know, we talked about one player in particular in the program. And she says, isn't it amazing how much of a leader this gal is? She's just loud, right? And, uh, you know, if you've heard this once, you've heard it a uh, hundred times from coaches and college coaches and NFL coaches. And I hate the term alpha. Like, oh, he's just an alpha, right? He's just loud. But the the willingness and the courage to say something, right? To 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 be loud, to call for the ball, you know, to be demonstrative on the court, you know, just to just to get people going, to get after other teammates, to hold them accountable and, and do so verbally and do so in a demonstrative way. That is a dying breed. A dying breed with our youth and young people. They don't want to do that. They don't like to do that. 20 years ago, that was not the case. Nick Saban has told me that, you know, that his teams in the early 2000s, he'd oftentimes have eight, nine, ten of those guys in the locker room. And the challenge was actually, you know, making sure that they didn't kill one another. <laughs> now, if you can find one or two, you are thrilled about that. 
because there are entire teams that don't have any of them. And I would add that into this commentary with Jamal, and that was part of why I think he was to Pete and to John, and especially after the LOB and the absence of all of that noise and demonstrative and accountable leaders, they needed a guy. That, that was willing to to speak and to speak his mind and to be and to put himself out there in that way. And number thirty three will certainly do that. And I think in the coming days and leading up into training camp, we may finally hear from him as well. Now, one of the things that is truly, I love this topic. Sam Walker wrote a book called The Captain Class, and it he looked at what he described as the 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 ten best sports dynasties across the globe, like multiple sports. Over the past 120 years. Wow. And he looked for a common trait. And the common trait was that each of those teams had a captain. Each of those teams had a captain. And he goes further to define what the captain means. And it's that person who pulls everybody together. It's real leadership. It is. Sometimes that player's kind of dirty. Like there's on like willing so obsessed by winning that they're willing to to cut the rules. Like he has it's it's an incredibly now. What I found amusing is that Derek Jeter was not on that. The Yankees didn't make those teams, and he was not part of the captain class. Though I I think everybody understands the leader Jeter was. Um, Jordan also not on there, although Sam Walker's kind of revised and had some revision to that. I I think what you're saying is very true. And identifying real leadership is it's not always easy because there's a lot of guys that will tell you they're leaders and a lot of guys that act like leaders and guys that want to speak up like leaders, but guys that that other players truly respond to, it's hard to find that. It's hard to find that. Yes, and 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I think it was easier to put your neck out there and sometimes create sparks and friction and, and, and have those moments. And guess what they were not? They were not captured on video. They were not captured on a phone. They did not go viral. You didn't have to. That was never a concern of, hey, man, who is who is watching me? Where where is this going to be going? You know, if I'm going to confront somebody in a locker room, rightfully so, for their selfishness or whatever, does another teammate, you know, is is he running on that? And all of a sudden, is it get leaked? And oh, because that teammate didn't like me either because I was hard on him and demanding on him. And and all of a sudden that thing is sourced and goes viral. And and I like likes. You know, and, and I like retweets, and I yeah. like thumbs ups, and and I don't, I don't <laughs> like the blowback that comes from the other side of it. So honestly, I think, and that's not to just like, oh, social media is all bad, and I'm old man yelling at the clouds and get off my lawn. Oh. Wah, wah, wah. It's just the reality that what you do today and what you say is out there and in that space and can be in numerous different ways now. So players are even more guarded, and I think protecting themselves. I'm going to put you on the spot, Brock. Yes, Best sir. leader you've ever been around? Been a few of them. I mean, I, I always say this. John Fiala is way, way up there. Ooh, yes. Oh, I love John Fiala. Yes. Was a walk-on, Paul, in the uh, in the, in the the 90s here. And oh, went to, okay. Yeah, went to, what, Lake Washington or somewhere in yeah. Bellevue High School, Lake Washington High School, and, then, and had scholarship offers to other schools. But he was dead set on being a Husky. And he walked on to the UW. He was a middle linebacker. He earned his scholarship. He played six years, five years in the NFL, kind of Ben Burkirvan esque yep. special teamer, absolute stud, and just a total rock. I mean, just a total rock. And, you know, when I was playing as a redshirt freshman, there were upperclassmen that didn't like that. There were a lot of friends of, of the redshirt junior at that time who had been patient, who waited his turn, and Fiala, like, stood in the gap. And, you know, just was just a rock solid dude. So he would be way, way up there around some of the great leaders. And that's probably a name that uh, that folks, uh, Olin Krutz, 
was a little bit different <laughs> in his leadership style, but he was the same way. He was the exact same way, man. Couldn't wait to get in that huddle with that guy. So those were certainly two of the more demonstrative in their own ways that I played with in college, Danny. We're going to stop talking about Olin Krutz because I don't want him texting me to ask for your phone number again. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. No, we're good that now. Is, we're text that, buddies and Twitter buddies now. We're good. <laughs> that, that is Brock. But don't York, tell Brock. the story. Goodbye. Love you. Talk to you Thursday. <laughs> Brock York, Blue 42 is...